Welcome to Geared for Growth. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock, tax depreciation super nerd. And we're talking to another super nerd today. I hope he doesn't mind me saying that. It's John Linderman, who I consider one of the godfathers of property market research in Australia. And we've got him on today to talk about property market research research basics what sort of metrics he looks for to find booming markets, what sorts of things that he looks at as indicators for whether a property market's going to boom, and just some basic information to help property investors like yourself identify where the opportunities for them are. It's an awesome interview with John, and I think you'll really enjoy it. Here's John. John Linderman, thank you for joining me back on the Geared for Growth podcast. Hi, Mike. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be here, and hello, everyone. It's nice to uh, see you again after a couple of years. Um, we were just chatting off air that was probably just uh, pre-pandemic, um, and of course, you were on the show with, with episode 115. So I definitely encourage people for a deep dive on your background as as you know, really the godfather of property research in Australia. I think, um, but. Today we're, we're taking, I guess, a, a, a smaller parcel of the whole property investing uh, journey on and that's really talking about property market research basics. Now this is, of course, your bread and butter, but I wanted to see if I could steal a little bit of your secret herbs and spices for property investors that are either you know new to the game or wanting to get into it. How do they actually research property markets to find where they should be purchasing? How do people do the research? Mm. That's a very good question. Um, I think, firstly, there's so much data out there that it's very easy to get uh, blown away by all the numbers and statistics. And so I think you've really got to look at um, the market in two ways. One is as a top-down approach. In other words, what are the basic dynamics of the property market? And they are population growth and movements when people uh, move around, and this is quite easy to to see how that happens, uh, they will have an effect on property prices. And the other one is purchasing power. So if people can afford to borrow more, then prices will go up. We've seen that recently. Uh, and of course, some people will downsize and so they don't need to borrow, but they have great purchasing power as a result of that. So they're sort of the main top-down dynamics. But when you look from the bottom up, it's more about the basic numbers, looking at sales listings and uh, rental vacancies and confidence that people have in the market itself. When we think about the the top-down stuff, you you talk sort of about purchasing power. Now, of course, with low interest rates and uh, banking sort of having a reasonable appetite for for lending, obviously that that brings a lot on the table. But do we also kind of think of, of that purchasing power in terms of what the actual price is in that particular market? So... If Sydney becomes way less affordable than a regional location, then that's going to drive price movements in that area? It can do. It's what we call the ripple effect. And, and you find that uh, this happens all the time when prices go up. So first-time buyers have a, a certain borrowing limit, and so they'll just move to the next suburb and where they, you know, it's more affordable for them to buy a, a property. But when you're looking at those sorts of movements, it's always important to realise that it's got to be the same type of area. In other words, if it's a first-time buyer market area, that the next suburb along is the same type of market and not completely different. But then you will find that that, that does happen. And there is an upper limit. At the moment, You know, I've estimated that prices have had the capacity of going up by about 25% this year. 
because people have been able to borrow more. And the reason they can do that is because the banks have lowered their floor rates. So, you know, they are willing to lend you more money uh, based on your capacity to repay the loan. And that's occurred pretty much all over Australia. There's, there's been an argument in Sydney where the, the dwelling price to sort of income ratio really should have stopped a decade ago. Like property prices were just too expensive that nobody could afford them on the average wages, even as, as, flated, as inflated as they are in, in Sydney. But is that a bit of a flawed metric when you kind of think of intergenerational wealth going into the mix? Like how, how do we sort of factor that into the research? Well, I, I think it, it's a, a fallacy to look at the overall price of a property because no one actually fronts up with, you know, a million dollars or $1.2 million and, and there's a lot of first-time buyers paying up to, you know, a million dollars for properties. Um, it's the affordability in terms of how much you have to pay every month back to the bank. Mm. That's really the, the critical thing. And so with interest rates being at their lowest and the, as I mentioned, the floor rates have been dropped by about 2% over the last year, it means that um, banks say, yes, you can afford to make the repayments. And, of course, you're not looking at the overall price, you know, which which to us, I've been around a long time and to me a million dollars seems like an absolute, you know, ridiculous amount to pay for a, a first home. But the affordability is, is based on the repayments. Mm. Sticking with those um, those top down metrics, when you talk about movement, obviously uh, I was hoping to go this whole podcast without using a word like unprecedented because we're sick of it. <laughs> but people have people have moved, right? We've we've seen a, a, a bit of an exodus from the cities to the regions. We've seen the rise of the the working from home stuff. Um, I joked on air about you know downloading your wisdom pre-pandemic about what was going to happen in the next 12 months but the, you know people obviously pulled the rug from under you how, how much of, of that has changed movements and and how does that factor into researching markets I, well I think the the first thing that's happened is closing of the international borders has meant that uh, we haven't had people coming into Australia in the way that they used to so most of our population growth, was derived from overseas arrivals and uh, that's all stopped. So we've had a few expatriates come back, but that's about it. So that is going to have a profound impact on on property markets in years to come because these people, when they arrive, they're renters for four or five years and then they become first-home buyers. Uh, And cities, especially places like Melbourne, uh, are going to be sort of suffering the effects of that decrease in demand. But on the other hand, You've still got people moving, even with our international borders closed, you've got people moving interstate. So in the last 12 months, there's been a net migration of people from New South Wales and Victoria to Queensland, which is really quite interesting. And that's about half of Queensland population growth in the last year has been from people coming from southern states. And the other thing about that is that the two types, you get younger people moving from Sydney and Melbourne into Brisbane and they're mainly renters and then older people have been moving into more of the regional markets around Brisbane. So, And they're, of course, property buyers, in many cases, uh, retirees. So we've seen population growth really, I guess, the, the lowest it's been for a long, long time because the borders are shut. We've seen some migratory movements from the 
let's say the colder states to a warmer state. Uh, you know, how key are those two metrics, the population and the interstate migration, to use sort of zeroing in on saying this is a region that that I think is has got some interesting potential. Well, when you look at uh, the the last example I made, which is people moving into state, uh, especially younger people moving to Brisbane, predominantly renters then you can look at the state of the Brisbane rental market and see that it's pretty much in balance. So if you get a lot of people moving in, that's going to create rental shortages and so rents are going to go up in many of the inner urban areas in Brisbane. And also when you look outside that to the regional markets where older people are moving as property buyers, what you're seeing there is tremendous increase in, in buyer demand in places like Bribie Island, the Fraser Coast, the Gold Coast, and so property prices there have really started to to take off and that's likely to continue. Yeah, certainly those those areas that they conjure up quite pretty places in the mind have, have done really well. The the sea change, tree change sorts of sorts of areas which have always been quite popular for retirees, but you know, even the working from home revolution has, has made them achievable places to be. Uh, now as well. When, when, when you talk about the bottom-up um, metrics when it comes to research basics, uh, are those all of the things that we would probably see in those property magazines like your, your vacancy rates and your vendor discounting and that sort of stuff? Well, they are, but there's, there's really only a few that are very important. Uh, one is the if you're looking at sort of um, areas where a lot of renters live, well, then it's the rental vacancies and the way they're trending, and that's very easy to to track because you go to realestate.com.au or domain and and just simply look up the number of rental vacancies in a suburb. The other one is the number of listings, that is properties listed for sale. So if I give you an example of that, Mike, it's um, there was a town in the southern New South Wales, the Riverina, called Hay, which had a well, has a population of around 4,000 people, and some years ago, a lot of the local farmers decided to move from uh, different types of farming to actual cotton farming because there were new varieties that they could grow that far south. Now, the um, the cotton board, Oscott, decided to build a cotton gin in hay. And to do that, they would need to employ about 160 people uh, from other areas to come in and build this gin. So that meant that there was probably an increase of around 160 families moving in uh, to rent for a few years in hay. This was on the ABC News, so it was something that you know we saw and thought, oh, that's interesting. Looked up the number of rental vacancies in hay and there were two. So I, I thought, well, that means if 160 families are going to move in and start renting, uh, rent demand far exceeds the supply, therefore uh, rents are going to go up dramatically, and they did. And within a few months, of course, investors saw that you could get 15% rental yield in hay, which is phenomenal, uh, and they decided to buy properties and get that cash flow. Now, when we looked at the number of properties for sale, there were only about three or four. So that meant, of course, that investors started bidding against each other to buy these properties, and property prices doubled in seven months. Uh, that was the best prediction I've ever made. A lot of people... Uh, <laughs> saw that and took advantage of it. And uh, so property prices doubled in seven months and they stayed that way for about two years. And all that time uh, was positive cash flow um, investments for these lucky people. So just by looking at those two indicators, you could get a really good idea of what was likely to happen. 
Mm, that's really interesting. And I suppose pa- post that growth, you've also now got a new big employer in town um, that has a benefit in, in the longer term. So how how replicable is that? Is it, is it a matter of following the news to look for these big infrastructure or investment projects or that are, that are going to have a disproportionate impact on the ch- town? Like if you put that cotton gin in uh, in Penrith, it wouldn't have the same effect as it does in Hay. Is this something that we can we can be trying to to find happening again with with relative ease? The Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximise their claims and maximise their property education as well. Uh, There is, and I I think um, in general you'd look for the bigger infrastructure projects and in particular transport improvements. Uh, One good example of that was the duplication of the Pacific Highway from Newcastle all the way up to the Brisbane border, which is over a 1,000 kilometres. And as the work progressed, we could see that as as they did the bypasses around Kempsey, Taree, Port Macquarie, all those areas, that uh, the workers had to move in and start renting properties. And so rents went through the roof because there simply weren't enough uh, rental properties available. But then a second thing happened, which was once the highway duplication was completed, these areas suddenly became faster to get to, easier and quicker to access. And so they became more attractive to retirees and and other property buyers. And so prices went up 30, 40% in a a year or two. Mm. So you could track that as you saw the uh, duplication proceeding. And the only area left now is around Coffs Harbour. That's the, the only part they've got left to do. So then you look, well, where else are these sorts of projects uh, undergoing? And places like the Bruce Highway, in, uh, which is from the Sunshine Coast all the way up to Cairns, that's being duplicated. So you can follow that progress. Down south, uh, the Princes Highway from uh, now from Narra down to Sussex Inlet is being duplicated. So the same thing is likely to happen there. So you can just pick towns and see when the work is likely to start construction workers will move in and when it's finished then buyers uh, are more likely to buy properties so it's a pretty easy thing to track and to profit from yeah i mean you can almost track that from space can't you you follow the road and these things are highly announced and politicians love to to talk about all the money that they're spending on making it quicker to get from a to b so i guess that's a pretty um pretty easy thing to do i want to sort of ask you about the stat about the average investor still only owning one property. Do you, do you see property market research basics as to be part of the problem that people are just sort of going on a whim or they're purchasing around the corner or they're getting sucked up into the latest media article and, and not just looking at the basic fundamentals? Yeah, so I think that um, overall people tend to see, you know, buying a property and looking for the growth as being the only thing they have to achieve but there's another side to this and that is cash flow and when you buy your first property if it's negatively geared and costing you money every month then you go to buy your second property and you go to the bank and they'll say sorry you haven't got uh, the capacity for a second property 
uh, loaned. So sometimes people get to two and then the same thing occurs. So it's very important in, when you're looking at property as an investment, you've got to look at the cash flow side as well. And positive cash flow is really the only way that you can keep on increasing your portfolio because you're getting money from these properties, net money in rent every week. And so the banks are more willing to lend you money to buy more properties. The, the other thing about that is that might, these areas, they might not be areas where you'd want to live yourself. Um, and, and a good example of that is uh, when we looked some years ago around the highest yielding areas in Australia and uh, one of the highest in Tassie was a little suburb called Risdon Vale, which is an outer, it's on the eastern shore of, of Hobart, so it's an outer suburb of Hobart, had the highest rental yield in, in Tassie. And I thought, why on earth is that occurring? Um, so we went and had a look. We also like to do on-the-ground research when wherever we're looking at, at markets and, and things that don't seem to make sense. So we went there, and the first thing we noticed in Risdon Vale was this huge maximum security male prison. It's where all the, the bad guys in, in Tasmania, when they end up in jail, that's where they go. And we thought, well, who would want to buy a property here? Because, you know, you've got the sirens at night and the razor wire and everything, and it's just um, a terrible place. And yet it was full of people who were renting, and they were the wives and the girlfriends and the families of the people who were in the jail. So they were renting there while their um, husbands or partners were, were serving time so that they could take the kids and have visits or have conjugal visits with their partners. So the rent demand was always high and that's what caused the high yield and that in turn made it a, one of the best investment areas and so it's also had very high capital growth. And the thing about that is that, of course, the more the violent and, and uh crime there is in Tasmania, the higher the rent yield is likely to be in Risdon Vale. That's, so. that's an awkward thing. I mean, you wouldn't want to go out inciting violence just to, to get some better performance yeah. on your property. But well, if, you wouldn't. But uh, <laughs> if you're an investor, you know, it's funny how these things work. And, and you think, well, I'd never want to live there. And that's really not the point. Other people do. And um, that's what creates the demand. That's all that matters. Do you have some stories about <clears throat> investors that you've that you've known have got the the research basics uh, done done well that have been able to 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 extricate themselves from that stat of, of only having one one property and maybe getting to the the four or five with 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 their research nailed? You can do that if as long as you're buying in areas that have got really good imminent growth potential. Um, we'll have to pause here a sec. I'll just clear my throat. <clears throat> all right. We'll um, cut that bit out, Mike. I'll ask you again if that's all right. Okay. So, John, do you have any examples or stories where you've worked with investors or come across investors that have got the research done well and they've they've – broken the mould and, and been able to get the portfolio up to four or five just by really nailing those research basics? It's certainly possible, but I, I've discovered one thing about property investing is if you do it correctly, it's a, it's a great rewarder, but if you do it wrong, it's a very savage uh, punisher and it's very hard once you've made mistakes early to, to get out of that, but it can be done. There are areas in Australia which um, our research identifies where property prices can go up, you know, phenomenally in a few years, 
and we've identified areas like hay where property prices have doubled in, in less than a year. Um, we've had investors buying places uh, like Berry where they went up uh, 100% in just one year. Um, we identified Byron Bay as another good example when you could buy a house there for 500000 and uh, five years ago, and now the median price is $1.5 million. Mm. So those sorts of investments will get you out of trouble. But it's it's always very important to try and avoid making the mistakes in the first place. You know, make your first investment one that's going to reward you with growth and cash flow. Yeah, look, if, if, if we could sort of try and, I guess, bookend this episode by coming back to your top tips. So for people that are very close to, to purchasing their next property or their first property, what, what, what are the best tips that you can give them to find an area that's going to put them on the path to, to, to a, a, a high-yielding portfolio? I don't mean yielding. I mean a, a high-growth and yielding portfolio. I think the, the main thing is to, to look at areas that have got the best imminent growth potential. Um, and in this, uh, I'm probably at odds with some other people who will say it's all about time, time in the market. You know, you've got to invest for a long period of time, buy and hold. And I say, well, if you do that, you'll probably end up with about 8% growth per annum over time. Your property value might double in, in nine years, but that's not really good enough. And so you've got to look for areas where you are fairly certain that you're going to get really high imminent growth. So I'd be looking at these areas where people are moving to, and retirees are likely to move to, and um, people moving into state where they're moving to, not where they're moving from. And those areas will give you much better returns in a shorter period of time. So that's, you know, the first secret, I would say, is use the information that's out there to find areas that have got the best growth potential in the shortest period of time. Yep, beautiful. So is there anything else that you would, in closing, sort of say, apart from looking at the areas that are going to be in demand because you can see people moving there because they're retiring or it's a lifestyle destination um, and it's just got that that X factor to it, is there anything else that you would highlight to say this is a is a key indicator that there's there's an imminent positive thing about to happen? Well, I don't think there's any one key indicator. I think there's, there's a number of them as I've, I've, I've mentioned. But I'd, if you want more information, uh, you can go to our website, lindemanreports.com.au. There's a lot of blogs and videos on there, a lot of uh, free tips, insights about what we've just spoken. So in far more depth, you'll get a lot more uh, detail about the different techniques and, and te- you know, tips that I, I will provide to investors quite freely. Um, and also, if you'd like a free consultation with me, uh, that's available. You can book one in if you go to the website, uh, free half-hour telephone conversation. So um, that's there if you just simply go to lindemanreports.com.au to take advantage of Beautiful. Thank you, John. I appreciate that. And we're asking you to to download all of your wisdom on property market research into 20 minutes. <laughs> it was always going to be a tough ask, but you've you've given us a really good insight into into some of the, the, the top-down indicators and the, the bottom-up indicators that investors need to understand to, to make sure they're purchasing uh, with, with with a with a good plan for, for getting that imminent growth and the good growth over time. So thank you very much for coming back. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Mike, and uh, good luck, everyone. I wish you all the best of success. Thanks, John.